Listen up, bowlers. Are you looking to gain mental focus over your competition? Do you ever need that extra burst of all-natural energy during league play? MindFrame is the first all-natural supplement packed with vitamins and all-natural ingredients to keep bowlers at the top of their game. Supports muscle recovery and joint support for the day after that long tournament. You cannot continue to neglect your most important tool, your body, if you want to win. Experience the striking power of MindFrame. Visit S3Direct.com. That's S3Direct.com. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowlers Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us today is Jeff Riggles. Jeff has 29 PBA regional titles, four USBC Open Eagles. Jeff and his Turbo 2-in-1 Grips teammates fired games of 1067, 1125, and 1281 for a 34-73 to take the team event lead at the USBC Open Championships in Reno. This summer, Jeff will be inducted into the USBC Hall of Fame. All right, Jeff, I'd like to welcome you to the Above 180 program today. You know, I've always felt we're somewhat related, even though we're not related by blood. We are related in that we're both from Wisconsin. We both love the sport of bowling. We have a passion for it. Uh, so, again, I, I view you as a distant relative of sorts. <laughs> well, that's. I think you could say that about all uh, Wisconsin bowlers. You know, we've got uh, quite the culture up here, and contrary to what I see at a lot of other places that I go to, um, everybody up here uh, fights like crazy while we're on the lanes, but for the most part, I, we're all pretty well buddies off the lanes and can sit and have a beer and uh, talk about things when we're done, and I think that bowling culture is a, a big thing that's behind the uh, behind the success we have at tournaments like the USBC, so I think you're definitely on to something there. Well, yeah, you know, and it's like a feeling of pride that we all get when a when a fellow Wisconsinite does well in the tournament, and and even a bowler from, you know, Minnesota, Michigan. There's that there's that kindred spirit that we all seem to kind of share. Which uh, I don't know. It's it's just something I've always felt. I don't know if everyone else does, or if, if you and I are in kind of a select company. But uh, it's a good feeling when when someone does well from the Midwest. No, I, th- I think you're dead on to that. It's the it's the old uh, traditional bowling culture up here and, and climate, and, and everybody's kind of hooked together. We all compete against each other, and uh, we're all uh, bonded sort of by our love of bowling. And, uh, you know, if I don't win, uh, I like nothing better than to see somebody else win that, uh, that I'm buddies with and uh, knock heads with all the time. Yeah. Okay, so we'll start today's interview off with, uh, you know, I've referred to you as the glue of that team, you know, you're kind of the senior member. Uh, you, you keep things together. Uh, you do know that the team struggled a little bit early in the event at the ABC. Oh, there we go again. At the <laughs> USBC Open Championships. And being the glue of that team, it's your responsibility and, and you know, job to kind of keep things together, keep things from unraveling. And you had that tough 10th frame where there was back-to-back opens in the 10th. Uh, what did you do or say to your teammates to kind of get everybody on the same page and, and remember that mathematically you were still in it and to focus on the job at hand. 
Well, I, I think it's I don't have to do as much as maybe I once had to do. I mean, we've had so much success there, and especially after we finally got the team all events eagle in 05. And then, you know, we've, we've gone away from that tournament with the team lead now three years in a row. And last year was a perfect example where we had a horrible first game and came back with two huge games and, and uh, ended up taking the lead, although I think we finished like 14th. But um, I just kept saying, and, and it's kind of hard when you're the guy shooting 180 the first game, but I just kept saying, uh, this isn't over. This isn't over. We can still do this. There's plenty of frames left. It's going to come to us. Don't worry. You know, it's just over and over. This isn't over. And uh, even though I was shooting 180 that first first game everybody else was I mean I just had the wrong ball in my hand no doubt uh, didn't have enough surface uh, made a bad decision there but the rest of those guys um, were throwing so many strikes I thought oh even with my bad first game we're still going to get uh, still going to get 1100 and something and we'll be in good shape that's all we wanted was 11 something the first game and and I knew I was going to get that nano out when we got some some dry broken down and uh, I figured I was going to have a couple good games the last two so I wasn't really worried um, you know obviously 3400 is a lot out there but I thought we still had plenty of room but uh, the, the killer was, uh, you know, Steve and Mac both split in both the uh, 8th and the 10th. It wasn't just the 10th. So they both were looking at, you know, 270, 260, and then you look up there and it's 2020. You know, and even with my double in the tenth, and it's 180, and our first three guys were 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 basically right at 600, and that was really deflating. And you know, Shades and Gale, you know, came through and saved us for 1060. But um, being that, I mean, halfway through that game, we were probably 100 over through five or six frames, and you're thinking, ah, oh, we might get 1150 this first game. And you know, that it, it was a downer. But I just kept saying, hey, we've done this before, and and we can do it again. And uh, well, if you if you saw, you know what happened. <laughs> exactly, Jeff. Uh, it looked like what from from watching on the U clip that your left lane got a little tricky on you guys about the midway through that first game and took a, took you guys a little bit to catch up to it. Getting back to the ball you started with, you say you, you moved, you switched to the Nano. Talk about why you did not start with the Nano and, and talk about the surface that you wish you would have had on the ball. Well, it, the ball that I wish I had more surface on was my Rain Supreme, which was a pin down drilling, a, a good strong one. And I got, I planned to re-hit that with 2000 before I went through the squad line, um, but I didn't do it after watching Steve and uh, Mike Walters practice and, and get lessons from Shade or from uh, Jasna on lane 81, they had so much hook there. You know, and Jasna was saying, "Well, this is about what'll be out there." And I was thinking, "Man, I know this is the right drilling and right ball. If I hit this again, it's going to be done at the arrows." And it was. I hit it with 2000 before we rolled the BTM, so it was basically a lane shine 2000. And I had this marvel that was with a fresh 2000, and I thought, "Well, that'll cover me." And Maybe I could use the Nano if I needed to. Well, as it turns out, the Marvel, just the drilling was too weak. Um, it was the right surface, but you could see, like, I, I plaque 10 one shot, and I bucketed another shot, and it just didn't have any force force off the break point and the rain supreme was just not enough and the nano i couldn't use right away because it was a pretty high pin and i did throw one practice ball with it and it would it was a 210 hit and uh you know we talked a little bit and and just agreed that that was too risky i might shoot 150 with that the first game until they settled down but i intended i knew i shot 299 at richter's place practicing with that ball and i knew what reaction i would have with it eventually or what i, I expected reaction to have with it and in retrospect i should have just have re-hit that two thousand uh, hard on the rain supreme and uh, you know then i think i'm probably at 220 or 230 the first game it was just a bad decision and uh you know it was kind of i mean i wasn't really missing the pocket much i just didn't have the right you know there was weak tens and stuff in there i just didn't quite have the right thing i was a little strategic uh strategic error there and then the nano when i i knew once i could get to it 
you know, I, I figured I was going to have something. And, you know, I mean, as many pins as I threw away on spares and stuff, I, I could have easily. That could have been 750. You know, that was just not not, not my all-time best performance uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue about it. As long as it holds on, it'll be all forgotten. <laughs> Right. So, how many different ball choices, Jeff, did you personally bring, and and what is that number like for other members on the team as well? I think most everybody's in the range of five, six, seven, eight, um, and I basically brought. Um, I really only brought six. I had two others. Um, but they were more emergency balls if we saw something in minors that uh, was just a disaster or if or if team we got a pair that for some reason was kind of different or that but I basically just had um, you know a set of about for team event about four balls to choose from and uh, I had some other ones there the the thing that I made a big error on probably is is that uh, you know number one not sanding or, or abbing that uh, that rain supreme harder and uh, you know and not adjusting my spare shooting for how much volume of oil if you go back and watch my videos of all those spares all three of those spares I missed to the right in team event and the couple that I missed in minors um, the first few games were to the right as well I just I was not even using a spare ball and it was still getting too much skid so uh, uh, <laughs> was, it's hard to explain to people how much volume of oil there is in the front of the lane until you bowl on that and how much squirt you can get and that's why staying to the outside works or staying at least square to the lane works so good at the start of team event if you get in and get going around it too much that you're going to get that over under reaction because that front of the lane is going to squirt the ball like crazy so jeff also talk about what it was like that last game when you guys shoot 1281 and most bowlers most people listening right now have never had the opportunity on such a stage like that to shoot a, a big number like that just talk about really how it came together for you guys that last game and, and the strikes just started coming well the way that the second game got to be and, and we were having the biggest problem with the right lane lane 30 was really broke down on the front of lane super fast and super extreme left lane never really got super wet dry like that that right lane in the front of the lane especially got really wet dry and the transitions were so much bigger than we thought at least on that lane and that's where we had those problems with those splits and once we got to a certain point to the left into maybe 15 that super front of the lane weirdness on the right lane kind of disappeared it still hooked a little more but the, the hook was not down the lane with a wet dry reaction it was in the front so once we got left we kind of escaped that and we didn't have to worry about the wet dry down the lane very much so once we got to that and, and everybody kind of got the right ball in their hand and we were loose and you know I'm looking up at the end of that second game and I'm doing the math in the 10th frame I said oh we're going to be 200 over and I turned you know I said look I'm shooting a lot more than 220 based on my reaction. I said, everybody else has a good reaction. There's 13, 1250 to 1300 out there, and we only need 1250. Do the math. We've done this before. You know, the one thing I said, too, is we've done this before. Now, I haven't, but there's four guys on that pair, Shady, Myers, and then from the other team, Gepfert and Howry were on the team that owns the record game at that tournament. That's 1266 from 2000 in Albuquerque when they shot 3480 and finished third or 3470. But so we knew we've done that before. And I said, don't, don't even worry about the number. It's out there. Just start striking, and once it happens, we'll be there. And the only guy that was struggling a little bit was Mark, and he made a ball change that was a good ball change and started that third game, spare, 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 and then he started striking. And as soon as he started striking, it was like I'm looking up, and I was talking to Matt Lawson, the video guy there who was shooting the video, and we were chatting. And I, I said to him about probably as soon as Mark started striking, I said, we're, we could shoot 13, 
hundred or more this game. I said, we got it going. And, man, I think we went on a binge there where it was 22 out of 24 or something. And, uh, you know, other than Richter's pocket 7-10 and uh, our 10th frame wasn't very good, we literally could have had maybe 13-50, which is almost an absurd thing to think of. But, uh, I mean, you, you can't probably have managed a pair of lanes to break it down better than what we did there. I think that might have been the I mean, we've done that very well several years now, but I, that might have been the, the best we've done to, to tame down the, the wet-dry and the over-under and, and turn it into a nice, smooth, solid reaction. And, I mean, you know, I'm mean, I, not bragging, but we got some good shot makers with good records there. You know, if it's open like that, I, we're going to shoot a big number. You know, Jeff, and, you know, the nice thing about your team, it's kind of done with, you know, every man type players, you know, it's not the power player, the, the big Tom Hess type team, you know, with the 500 Reverate guys. It's shot makers that don't do anything exceptionally to the ball other than the fact they throw the ball very well, very consistently. And I think a lot of common bowlers can can more relate to your type of team more so than they can the big handed type team. Do you agree with that? Yeah, we're, we're basically a bunch of guys who are, uh, you know, getting up there in age and we grew up in a day especially some of us, like Mark and I, grew up in a day when uh, the biggest cranker out there was Marshall Holman, Mark Roth. And if you put those two guys out there now in their prime, they'd be, you know, power tweeners. There'd be 20 guys on tour with more hand than them, maybe 50. I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's that's almost amazing to think of, but that's really the truth. And I think that that is one of the things that helps us is that exact fact, is that we have 10 guys, and our rev rates probably range from, you know, maybe 275 to 375. We don't have anybody that you'd call a huge cranker. Richter's probably the highest, and uh, we go down to, you know, Max pretty straight, Shades is pretty straight. We don't have anybody standing there in the left gutter on the fresh trying to throw it to the right because they got a 600 rev rate or 550 or whatever. And I think that's one thing I always try to get across to people when they're talking about our success at the tournament. I said, number one, it's smarts, and number two, it's good shot making, but number three, it's, it's, it's cooperating and playing together, but you have to be able to play together. I said if, if we had 10 guys with the same exact philosophy, but rev rates ranging from 250 to 550, I don't think we could do what we do. I said you have to have a team of players that is pretty similar in style so that you can work together, or else you have to have people who are really willing to sacrifice. You know, you have to have a guy with that 550 rev rate who will find a way to knock his rev rate down to 400 and use a weaker ball and play out there, but then he's not playing to his strength. So when people have asked me about setting up teams, I tell them, look, if you're a power player, get some other power players and get together so that you guys can all play basically your A game. You'll break them down differently than our team does, our teams do, but you'll break them down to your way. And I think that there is definitely a shot out there for power players to break them down farther left than we did, but to their strengths and shoot big scores. But the trick is you can't have a couple guys wanting to play 10 who are real straight and three guys who boom the ball and want to play 25 because you're just going to mess each other up. And you, you got to have a team of similar styles. That's that's something that I think people have to pay more attention to in the modern game and, and bowling for that tournament. And the same goes for lefties. If I was left-handed, uh, you know, I would want to bowl with other lefties so that you could cooperate in the same way. Again, joining yeah, we, us. We, we kind of saw that, Jeff, with uh, Tom Rehess's team. Uh, he was out there when we were there. And uh, as you know, pretty handed players on that team. And mm-hmm. I kind of thought they started a little deeper than they maybe could have or should have. 
but but they did develop a nice inside shot but their carry just wasn't near as consistent or as good as your teams were yeah yeah i mean i'm obviously that that's the one thing you can never control we've had a couple of years like that too corpus christi and uh, and uh, albuquerque or two years where we we could get to the pocket and just couldn't strike but the important thing is is that I don't think that it's necessarily that you have to play between six to eight board to start um, laydown areas or whatever, which is about what we were trying. I think you can have a laydown of 15 out to six to eight or 10, you know, right of 10, whatever you want to call it at your break point. But the best way to do that is to have everybody on your pair doing the same thing. Whatever game plan you're going to come up with, you want to have everybody on the pair or at least close to everybody on the pair doing the same thing so you're all working together and not working against each other. Joining us again on the Above180.com podcast is four-time USBC Open Eagles winner and current part of the team leader right now, Jeff Riggles. Uh, Jeff, have a, a question regarding, uh, since you took the lead, uh, have you had a chance to talk to anyone from Brian Brazo's Pro Shop? Uh, I know you and some of those guys are really close, and, and just kind of talk about maybe what you may have said to Jace or someone who's on that team. Well, yeah, I exchanged text messages with Jace, you know, right afterwards, and you know, I think actually he may have sent a congrats before we were done bowling, or may I don't know, before the next morning, I that whole weekend still a blur. But yeah, we we sent some text messages back and forth, and um, I tell you, you know, Jace and I we bowled a doubles tournament together just back in uh, back in December in Iowa and won it, and you know we've we've bowled many tournaments together and against each other, and going back to regionals and stuff, thirty years worth of of, of friendly competition, and sometimes teammates and we just bowled in the greater milwaukee scratch team together Sosha and uh, jace peterson joined me and richter and myers and uh you know I, I don't feel bad for john he's got multiple eagles and you know i mean it's not as big a deal for him but you look at a guy like jason and, and i think brazo is in the same same situation i don't think brian has one either and uh it, you know, those are guys that have been going out there and had so many heartbreaking near misses and their friends, and you just sit there and look at that. And I know how that was with our guys before we won in 2005, and it was just I never felt so much pressure. I was trying to help them win, and that's why 2005 was so meaningful to get uh, get the other guys on my team, Eagles. And uh, I just so I just know exactly what uh, what those guys are going through, and I just feel like I like I said on the webcast afterwards. I'm, I, if it wasn't that we were winning, I, I just feel terrible. I mean, I, I, you know, if it wasn't going to be us that passed him, I would have hoped for sure that no one would pass him. And just, I, it's hard to put into words, but you know, I, I remember in '85 we finished, uh, lost the team all events, finished second, uh, um, and uh, how heartbreaking that was because yeah. you know the other guys on our team had eagles and we hadn't had one yet, and that's eons ago. But I remember how awesome then it felt the next year when we won the team to get it. And until you have one, if you've been close, it's just. You know, you only get one chance every year. And those guys, I mean, Jason, Brazil, how many times have they just missed? It's just, it's just hard to put into words. I know exactly what that's like, and I feel for them. Well, you know, Jeff, it's possible once the USBC goes to a new oiling format, uh, maybe their day will come on the Fresh Fresh. And speaking of Fresh Fresh, we're, we're alluding to the fact where they're going to oil in front of doubles and singles every squad, just like they do currently in team to put a flatter, fresher oil pattern out to restore some of the equity in the tournament play. In other words, it won't be as effective to who you follow. Uh, did you listen to our interview with Eric Pearson from last week? 
the not tournament director anymore, but one of the uh, main cogs in uh, developing the pattern for the tournament. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I never missed the Above180.com show. I've, I've listened to every one you've had. <laughs> um, Sweet. And I, certainly I listen to Eric because I, I have all the respect in the world for Eric. He's one of the sharpest guys around when it comes to that. And I know his, uh, his heart is in the right place. He cares the world about uh, what happens when he puts down a lane pattern. He's not just one of these lane men that uh, puts it down and leaves the building. And, you know, if you, can, if you have any concerns, he's like, too bad. You know, he's, he's not one of those guys. He cares. And, if, you know, if he makes any kind of mistake or something, I know that he feels terrible about it. Um, and uh, I, I was pretty impressed with everything he said in that interview. And uh, um, the, the only thing that I kind of got is, is I wish I would have been able to, like, interject and ask a follow-up question because he made one statement that really kind of bothered me, and that was, like, he talked about how if the lanes are oiled multiple times in a day, they're going to turn out differently so maybe fresh oil for all the events wouldn't be that big a deal compared to what there is now and i'm just paraphrasing obviously but uh and i see that in regionals the oil god knows how many times in regionals when we're doing bracket matches and that and they never turn out exactly the same but i can guarantee you and i'm sure eric if he's going to tell you this too if you had him on here to ask the difference between fresh oil three times in a day pattern to squad to squad to squad is tiny compared to the difference between fresh oil and letting group A bowl on it and then you bowl, and fresh oil and letting group B on it and then you bowl. Um, I mean, to, 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 to make any comparison that would say that it isn't going to be that big a deal versus what it is now to have fresh oil in every squad, that's completely not true. Are they going to be the same every day? No. That's why whenever I write, I always say as close or as much as humanly possible because you can't control the weather. You can't control all the little variables that happen, topography of lane to lane and that. Those are things you can't control. There's only one thing you control, and that's what lane pattern you put down and having everybody start on the same lane pattern and getting the same opportunity to bowl on that lane pattern. And that does not happen now except in team event. Um, USBC knows this, and to their credit, they're trying to find ways to, to get it to all fresh oil, and hopefully it's going to happen in 2013, and that's going to dramatically increase the integrity of that tournament. Then every single eagle you win, there'll be no question as far as humanly possible uh, as to the legitimacy of that. And that's one of the reasons we want to win the team event so much is that, in, in a sense, and I've written this, I don't think I've really won what you would call a purely legitimate eagle. I won the team event back when it was two squads, um, so we weren't bowling on fresh oil and team back in 86. And then team all events, doubles, and individual all events were all involving minor event squads that were uh, on uh, not fresh oil. So, you know, I, this would be the first real eagle I've won where there's no question that everybody started with uh, a level playing field as, as much as humanly possible. So that's that's one of the things that makes it so meaningful. So, Jeff, one of the things you, you do with your 10 guys is you split your doubles and singles up. Some some guys bowl at the 1140 a.m. squad and some bowl at the 530 p.m. squad. Talk about the angles as to doing that and to how you decide who goes where. Does it kind of depend on uh, who, who you think match up better on that 1140 a.m. squad, or is it just purely the people that would rather bowl at that time? No, that didn't have anything to do with the, 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 the split up and who bowls when nothing to do with shot because 1140 and 530 it's a total crapshoot of who's in front of you and there's no way you can guess or control that so that didn't play into it um it solely came um number one there was a couple years there where we felt like we kind of shimwrecked each other um there was one year where the difference in the two pairs in singles and doubles and i'm thinking it was 08 in albuquerque are uh, eight guys obviously flipping the 
doubles, the pair we bowled doubles on and that Myers and Gepford and those guys bowled singles on was 600 pins difference from the other pair. <laughs> and the other pair had started deeper, and we just all kind of shimwrecked each other, and it just turned into a disaster. So we had a, a big uh, big strategy session about that, and especially uh, Mark and Shady um, felt like it was kind of hurting them to have to get so deep, and we all agreed that it was best maybe we take a shot at splitting it, and also a little bit for on-the-lanes brackets. And, uh, and we were looking down the line for when guys get to be seniors, we can split our senior guys also. So it was a little bit of the on-the-lanes, although there's not much minor events action usually when we're there. We haven't found too much anyway. But mostly it was about not, not shimwrecking each other, which we saw a couple years. And But I guarantee you, when it comes back to – but if it gets to all fresh in 2013, we're all going to be bowling together on the same squad. There's no doubt about that. That's already been totally decided. So it's it's mostly a thing where we just wanted to try that. And it's uh, the first year we did it was '09, and uh, that was the year we shot the 10,300 all events, and it worked fantastic. And the last couple of years it hasn't been so good for us at 5:30, but it's been uh, pretty good for the guys at 11:40. So we're just kind of sticking with that until until we get to all fresh, hopefully in 013. You know, Jeff, it sounds to me like after that 600-pin difference from one pair to the other, the word of the day may have been, oops. Yeah, well, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't so much that uh, we could control it, but I remember that. That was 45 and 46 and 47 and 48 in Albuquerque. It was the N2 pairs, and uh, I'm almost certain about that. Um, and the one pair, we started out playing more like 10, and the other pair, you know, at 10, maybe 15 to 10, and the other pair, Gale and Gefford and Howery and and uh, and uh, was Tice then, had to start so deep already because of the, the squads that were in front of them or the teams that were in front of them. It was like, holy mackerel. And then, of course, when we got over there, there was just nothing left. And, and you know, I think uh, that year on that pair in singles, Richter had the only 600 between me and Steve and uh, Mac and Shades, and we'd uh, we'd bowled pretty good, and I think I'd struggle a little in doubles, but I think Mac and Shades had close to, had a big 1,300 in, in doubles, and, uh, you know, you go over for singles then, and there's, you know, you're inside the left gutter, and you got no no skid, basically, is what it amounted to, so that was your Shades and Mac were like, wow, we, we need to try something different, and it wasn't really what Gepford and Howry and, and, and those guys did, it was, and Gail, it was it was what was done in front of us, but if we would have had a bunch of straight guys flipping with, you know, classified bowlers or something, it wouldn't have got chewed up so much, and we might have had a chance when we made the flip. So I deferred basically to Shay. I liked having everybody bowling together, but I deferred to the other guys. That's what they wanted to try, and so we did, and it certainly worked good in '09. And so we've just kind of stuck with it. I'll, I'll be, believe me, one of the best things to me will be in 13 if we go to fresh oils and we'll all be back together bowling together which i find to be a lot more you know exciting and fun and and i can we can feed off each other and i can't wait for that if it happens right and and we'd have to kind of appreciate the time we do have left on this earth because we never know when it's going to end our careers and really take advantage of each situation each year especially when it's with friends Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what we say every year. I, I think Shade said that, or maybe Mac in the interview afterwards, said, we're getting up there. I mean, uh, Mac's going to be 50 for next year's tournament. I'm going to be 50 a month after the tournament or two months after the tournament. I don't know how many more chances we're going to have where, you know, at some point it's obviously going to be, you know, age is the only unbeatable foe, and we're just simply going to be too old. And, uh, you know, we're not going to be battling for Eagles anymore. We're going to be out there just trying to do the best we can and maybe making some changes as some of us geezers step 
step aside for some of the younger guys or something. I mean, that will happen someday, um, and and that's the way it is. That's the natural order of things. That's not a complaint. And so you have to go out there and just. That's why we get so excited. It's one shot a year. It's nine games. It's only three games in team event. You don't. You know, it's not like a regional. There's not another one next week. It's one shot a year. That's all you get, and you better get up for it and, and get focused on it. So, you know, since we're getting toward the end of the interview, Jeff, uh, your team is a special team. I mean, you got Mac, you got Shades, you got Satan. And I, I want to know how Steve, because Steve is one of the most lovable guys I've ever <laughs> met, how he got the nickname Satan. And does Gail have a nickname? Because Dale, to me, is probably the most gifted, well, not the most gifted, but I'd have to give that to Shades on your team. But how do these nicknames come about, and, or do you want to just say a few things about each player on your team? Well, yeah, if I could, yeah, for sure. I mean, I blocked a little bit about that afterwards. You know, I mean, there's not much you can say about Mac. Uh, he's not a serious bowler anymore, but uh, he's one of the best athletes I ever knew in my life. You know, he could have been the field goal kicker at Wisconsin back in the day um, if the other guy hadn't had a scholarship. And uh, good for him that he didn't. And, you know, he's bowler of the year once. And uh, he's one of the toughest guys I know. He never stops battling. You know, and Shades, I, what can you say about him? He's one of the best shot makers ever. If the tour had been different in his life had been different i have no doubt he'd be a pba hall of famer now and people don't really appreciate how good he is because he doesn't have a flashy game and he's not a flashy personality and uh gail to me is one of the clutchest guys i've i mean if i had to pick somebody that you know wasn't chris you know not chris Barnes, if it wasn't i don't know who you'd want to roll anthony or somebody like that to throw a strike to save my life i would pick gail i, I mean you saw just look at his shots in the 10th frame of that third game of team event he is afraid of nothing um He's certainly, you know, a bit of a character, kind of like me. And uh, uh, but, but man, put a bowling ball in his hand, and he's phenomenal. And we have a bunch of nicknames for him, but there's not really one premier nickname, so it's hard to pick out one. Mostly, it's little guy or something like that, and uh, something like that. But uh, he, he's an amazing, amazing bowler. Doesn't get enough credit. Most underappreciated bowler in, in USBC history. He'll be in the Hall of Fame someday. Trust me. He's going to be the lifetime average leader probably after this year, unless Nate has a big year. And then of course Steve. Uh, I've been asked a zillion times about the Satan nickname, and all that came from one day is, is he showed up, and I'd never seen him with the shaved head and the goatee before. And one time he showed up, and he had a goatee, he had his head shaved, and if you look at pictures of caricatures of the devil, you'll see that long, angular face and the goatee a lot of times. And I just looked at him, I said, whoa, it's Satan. And it was just like one off-the-cuff remark, and it stuck. And it's a great nickname for him because it's exactly the opposite of what he is. He's the, you know, the calm, quiet, cool guy that, uh, you know, pretty much sticks sticks to staying out of trouble. He doesn't gamble at all, unlike some of the rest of us. And um, he, he's Mr. Cool. He, he he's uh, he's the exact opposite of what you would call a Satan. So that that just is what stuck. And I wish I had a picture of him with the goatee. You know, he, ever since then I never see him with the goatee. But when he had it, it was just funny. It just struck me one day I saw him and I blurted it out and became his nickname. And he's a heck of a bowler. Him him and I are an interesting doubles pair because I'm a total feel bowler. Um, the opposite of the guy that's always fiddling with technique and fun, you know, whatever, changing things. I'm, I bowl by feel, which is good and bad, but that's just the way I've always been. Um, and Steve is exactly the opposite. He is an absolute technique technician. He's always fiddling with things. He knows a thousand times more about 
you know, and he's a great coach, just like Shady, and he knows a thousand times more about the fundamentals of the game than than I ever will. And, and switching little things in his technique, and he's always changing stuff and and that. So he's he's a great coach, great guy, and uh, but it's very interesting for him and I to bowl together. So we we kind of help each other in that the sort of like the if we were a couple in marriage or something, the opposites attract thing, that would be him and I. Well, Jeff, it has been a real treat having you join us today on the Above180.com podcast. I'd be remiss, Jeff, I, f- I failed to mention in my introduction your blog, which is the 11th Frame blog. Uh, most bowlers know about that already. They check that out. But please check out uh, Jeff's blog as he's constantly writing and updating. And it's actually funny if you watch some of the USB-C video webcasts, the guys make reference to Jeff's blog as Jeff actually. They go and read Jeff's blog before <laughs> they put up their stories. So a very informative bowling website and a place uh, that you can catch all the latest PBA news and USB-C news as well. So, Jeff, we're going to have to do this again. The time just flew by. and because uh, I talk so much. No, it was a very good interview. And like I said, we're going to have to do this again. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, best of luck. Hopefully that the Eagle will hold up. Hopefully your team score will stand. Uh, still do have some teams left to go. we got about six weeks left of the tournament, five weeks. So uh, for Tim Berg, Joy Serrar, Jeff Riggles, good luck and good bowling.